sometimes it's hard for me to uh, realize how fast time passes. Anybody else have that problem? To be the end of 2015 already. And it seems like we just barely started this year. To be to the 10th lesson in Believe when it seems like we just barely started Believe. We have gone through the first third. There are three 10 lesson sections to this, and we've covered the first 10. We found out a lot of things about what we should believe and why we should believe them. We have declared five beliefs that are basically vertical, our relationship with God. And we have discovered, for instance, that he is the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of creation. We have seen that he is personally interested in each one of us and that that he sent Jesus to be our Savior, the only Savior of this world. And we have learned and now declare that the Bible is God's one true word, the revelation of himself and of his will for mankind. And and so these are core beliefs, core values that we have as Christians. We have also declared four horizontal beliefs regarding what God wants us to know about our place here on earth and, and our relationships with our fellow human beings. We have agreed uh, that the church was started by Jesus, established to be his body here on earth, and he called us into that. We didn't choose that. We chose him. He chose the church, and he put us in it. And we are now working to accomplish his mission to save the world. And we have learned that we are supposed to love the people around us as God loves those people, and we're supposed to be compassionate to their needs, and, and even we're supposed to take up for those that are, that are forgotten and neglected and lost and mistreated in this world. And last week, we learned a little bit about our stewardship, that we are managers, not owners, and that when God gives us something, it's temporary, and it really still belongs to Him, and He wants to see what we will do with what He's provided us with. So we've come to the tenth and the final lesson in the first triad of the Belief series. We'll continue with section two shortly into the new year after we've stopped for Christmas and New Year's for a couple of Sundays here. Lying beneath the surface of all these beliefs, and you see this, this whole group of nine things out here we've discussed, is a sobering reality. And it's hard to talk about. Jerry's already mentioned it. That reality is that all of this that we've talked about to this point is not a game. This isn't pretend. This isn't like we're playing make-believe somehow. You know, it's fun to talk about these things. It's nice. It's good. It's wholesome activity and so on. There is a sobering reality that there are very real consequences to all this. There are eternal consequences. This is not just something to affect you for 2016 or maybe even for the rest of your life here. This is to affect you and I for the rest of eternity. And the decision we make, that we must make about God, and about his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, is an eternal decision. Add to this a sobering fact, that there are just two kinds of people in this world. There are saved people, and there are lost people. Now, we don't like to deal with life that way. We'd rather have a great variety, all the gray area in between the two. But God sees it this way. There are saved people and there are lost people. There are those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are not in the kingdom of God. 
There are those who will go to heaven to be with God for eternity, and there are those who will not go to heaven to be with God for eternity. I was reading in my devotions again this week and just kind of going through the Gospel of Luke. And I always spend a little bit of time in the Gospels every day. And I realized how true it was in Jesus' earthly ministry that when Jesus showed up, people made a choice. They chose sides. It was almost like the game was on, you know. Which team am I going to be on? Which side am I going to be on? There were some people running towards Jesus to get something from him, to get what they could. They wanted him. They wanted to be on his team. And many people wanted to follow him. Not not just these 12 people that we talk about all the time, but hundreds of people, thousands of people wanted to be with Jesus. But there were other people there also trying to shut down Jesus, trying to silence Jesus, even to kill Jesus if they had to. And eventually they thought that's what they had to do. Jesus is the baby in the manger. He is beautiful, he's wonderful, he's loving, he's, he's so attractive to, to the world. So many people want Christmas, they want the baby in the manger. But when he grew up, he became a divider. He became someone where you had to make a choice. And he, he was a, a rock, it says in the scripture, that people stumbled over. And other people use that as the ground, as a foundation, the bedrock of their faith. So there is a fateful choice that must be made by every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And that choice revolves around this person whose birth we're celebrating at Christmas. His name is Jesus. Is heaven real? Is hell real? Are there physical, literal places of either eternal bliss or eternal agony? Now, most people like to believe in some kind of a heaven. You know, it's really nice. It's really uh, joyful to think of this this thing. There's all these popular beliefs, you know, people floating around on clouds, strumming a harp, you know, and they got this beautiful white robe on, a little halo over the top of their head. All these images that are more like cartoon images. And the Bible has a different reality than that, but even the Bible reality is very attractive because it's a place without pain and without crying, without mourning and, and no death. And we would love to be in a place like that. But the Bible's teaching about hell is a difficult one to hear and to accept. The fact that anyone would have to spend eternity in a place of torment is hard to stomach, hard to, to imagine. But that's the reality that God has revealed. C.S. Lewis, a great British defender of the faith wrote this about hell. He said, There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, the doctrine of hell. Lewis said, I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, you know, God's just going to forgive it all. God's just going to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Everybody come on in. That would be nice to say, and it would be so easy to bring people into our churches, to bring people to our Savior Jesus, to make them Christians, and everybody's just going to go as one big happy family to heaven one day. But that is not the reality that we are left with. We didn't get to choose. That is not in our power to change. We can only accept what God Almighty has said, that hell will be hell for those who have to experience it. So God created us 
with free will. That's why there's a hell. He created us with a choice. If there was no choice, we would be puppets. We would be robots. We would, we would be programmed to do certain things, especially to love God. But God gave us a choice. He said, do you want me or not? Do you want to be with me or not? Do you want to believe in me or not? Do you want to follow me or not? Do you want to obey me or not? You have the choice. And God took this tremendous risk by offering that choice. We can choose life with God or life without God. And if there is freedom to choose these things, then it makes sense that there must be consequences to those choices. Very real consequences. And God has decided those are eternal consequences. Is heaven real? Is hell real? Jesus often spoke about hell. He spoke about the coming judgment of all mankind. He spoke of it as a place of unquenchable fire, a place where worms eating the flesh of the victims do not die. He said it is a place of outer darkness where people will weep and gnash their teeth for eternity. Hell is a place where people will have no access to God. And Jesus took that reality of hell very, very seriously. If you doubt that, why did he go to the cross? Why would he be willing to do that except that the reality of hell was so pronounced in his own mind, his own awareness, his own belief system, if you want to call it that. And yet many Christians hold within their hearts the idea that in one way or another, the people who have not heard about Jesus will be saved by some other means. Some Christians even think that God's going to grade on a curve. Or even give everyone a second chance to, to uh, believe once they've died. I don't know where they get this stuff, but some people just have these convenient ways of explaining it away or making it less difficult, less harsh. But there is no evidence in the Bible to suggest this. K.P. Yohannan said, there is not one shred of hope for such a belief. Heaven is real. And so is this awful God-forsaken place called hell. Now let me give an important point right here, and I don't, don't want anybody to miss this. Important note right this is that God doesn't want anybody to go there. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he wants everyone to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. Ezekiel 33.11 says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? In 2 Peter 3.9, it says that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, here's the bottom line as far as God's concerned. He wants everybody to be saved. That's his desire. That was his desire from the beginning. It's his desire today. He created us with free will so that we would choose him and be with him forever. But he created us so that we could make the choice. Because here's the thing. God will not force us into submission. If we choose to reject him, if we choose to live apart from him, then he gives us what we want. He accepts our decision to live eternally apart from Him. So life here on earth is a test. A test in which we choose what is to come. Believers in and followers of Jesus Christ will have life after, after death that is eternal life with God in heaven. But for unbelievers, they will have life after death that is eternal death. 
eternity in the lake of fire. So, this morning, do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you believe there is this critical, life-changing, eternity-changing choice that must be made about Jesus? Do you believe that one day Jesus is going to return, not only as our Savior, but as judge and as king over everyone who has ever lived? Do you believe that all of us will have to give an account for how we have chosen to live? What if you don't? What if you don't believe that? What is the risk here? What if you say, you know, that's just, that, that's baloney, that's hogwash. I, I just reject all of that. What if you choose not to believe and then it turns out to be true? What a tremendous risk you have taken. What if it turns out that the God of the Bible is the one true God? What if it turns out that Jesus did come to die for our sins and that we are all under condemnation unless we receive Him as Lord and Savior? What if it turns out to be true that Jesus is the only way to God and that all of us will have to give that account to Him? What would you lose? You'd lose everything. And you'd pay for that in eternity. If, on the other hand, you take our position that we believe. We believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell and that there is one Savior. His name is Jesus. And we believe that if we put our confidence in Him, if we put our faith in Him, if we trust Him for salvation, then we will one day go into eternity with Him and we will spend eternity in heaven with God. What if that's not true? What have we lost? Nothing. But if we don't believe it, we have lost everything. If you believe in heaven, and if you believe that you're going there, what difference should it make? That's where most of us are. Most of the people in this room today believe there's a heaven. They believe there's a, a hell. They believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We have come this far in the Believe series pretty much on the same page, haven't we? We're all at this point of conviction, a point of, of, of faith, of, of confirming this, confessing this. So if we believe in these things, what should it do for us? How should it change our lives? What difference should it make? How should we then live? Well, I want you to know, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do next. So let me share three things with you. First of all, we must live with hope, not with fear. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or, or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And when you believe that Jesus is your way to heaven, then you can live with that hope. You don't have any fear to live with. No matter what this life deals me, I can live with hope. Because there's a heaven, I can live with hope, not fear. I can have joy and peace no matter what life brings to me. And there is no one, there is nothing that I need to fear except God Himself. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I think that's where our brothers and sisters in the world that are persecuted have come to. They've come to this realization. It doesn't matter what man does to me. It doesn't matter if they, they beat me up. It doesn't matter if they throw me in a prison cell as darkness for years at a time. It doesn't matter if they, they hurt or kill my family or they kill me because that's all they can do to me. They cannot take away my hope. They cannot take away my Lord. 
They cannot take away my relationship with God. And for eternity, I am sealed. I have the promises of God behind it. The Apostle Peter tells us in his first letter that we have a blessed hope in Jesus Christ and that his hope gives us power and strength that we need to live from day to day. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. And you'll find with chapter 2, or chapter uh, 1, starting with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here we have the promises of God Himself. That this hope is in us no matter what may come in this life. Our world is in turmoil, isn't it? Every day you're hearing just all this news stuff about ISIS and the battles going on and people are, are losing their lives and, and people are wondering what to do about it and, and many people are just shell-shocked, you know, and just, what are we going to do about this? How can our leaders possibly have an answer for this? How can the countries ever come together? How can we battle this? What can we do about inflation? What can we do about, you know, so many dynamics on our children today? And I hear even Christians saying things like, what is this world we're leaving to our kids? You know, all of this, this stuff going on in our mind, here is our hope. And we live with that hope. We must not be shaken by these things. We know the end of the story. And our confidence is in God. So we can live with hope, not fear. Second thing. For those who believe in heaven, those who are ready to spend e eternity with God in heaven, we can love with abandon, not caution. Let's stop thinking that we have to be careful. This is a really big one for us in America because we're so comfortable, we're so careful. You know, a lot of our prayers are about peace and safety. You know, we want more of that. And we get all you know, worried about what's around us, and so we get cautious, and we worry about our safety all the time. We need to just go out there, and we need to love people the way that God loves people. We need to just love on people regardless of what may happen. We need to expend ourselves. We need to, to exhaust ourselves for God, doing whatever God calls us to do. And strangely, when you do that for God, it doesn't deplete you doesn't really exhaust you. In fact, it, it energizes you. You know what enthusiasm is? The word enthusiasm means God in us. And if you have a, 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 a glorified enthusiasm of God, a consecrated enthusiasm for God, you just can't wear out. You may exhaust yourself for the day, but when you realize what God is doing in your life, that new energy and that new power comes back. And you're ready for the next day. 
So love with abandon, not caution. Now it may seem risky and foolish at times. You will sometimes go places that are uncomfortable going and you will deal with people far different than the friends you might choose to hang around. But God will be with you and His love will flow through you in amazing ways. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, these thing, three things uh, remain. They will last forever, ever faith, hope, and love. But what's the greatest? Love. So let's put the emphasis on love. And let's love with abandon, not caution. There's a new movie that just came out. I haven't had the chance to see it yet. It's about Mother Teresa. I think it came out on December 4th. Anybody see it yet? It's called The Letters. I haven't really heard much about it from anybody that went, so I don't know if anybody has. But the idea uh, of this movie starring Juliet Stevenson is to tell the story of Mother Teresa, who, who way back in 1950 uh, moved into Calcutta, India, to minister to lepers and to other people that no one else had anything to do with. They just despised them, wouldn't be around them. And here's this, this powerhouse of God in this little tiny body called Mother Teresa. And she founded this Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India in 1950, which grew by the time of her death in 1997 to 610 mission points around the world and, and about 123 countries. And people caught on to this idea that if we love with abandon, if we love in, in, un, un, uh, in ordinary and, and extraordinary ways, and we love in, in uncommon ways, and we love uh, in a way that nobody c can even imagine that kind of love, that God gets the glory for that. Shouldn't we all love people in that same way? You know, some people have a hard time accepting that kind of love because they've never seen it before. Nobody's loved me like that before. Everybody always has an agenda. Everybody has conditions. Everybody has uh, something they want from me in order to love me. And when you love me when I can give you nothing, or when you love me when all I'm going to cause you is a lot of heartache and pain, then you got my attention. And that's when we tell them about Jesus. In the end, it's not going to matter what kind of car you drove or what kind of a house you lived in. It's not going to matter who you voted for in the past or in this coming election. It won't matter whether you preferred organs or guitar or no instrument at all for our worship services. It won't matter where you stood on this or that issue which sometimes divides our churches. All of those things are going to fade away and only one thing is going to matter and that's love the love we have for God, and the love that we have for our fellow man. And in the end, all that will matter is whether we loved with abandon or not. Third thing, if you believe in God, you believe in heaven and hell, this is the reality of the world God has created, that people will make a choice, and they'll either end up in one place or another, they'll either be lost or saved. If you believe that, then what we must do is lead people to Jesus, because he's the only one who can change their eternal destiny. He's the only one that can make a difference. Our main scripture passage this week is in John 14. Passage that you know, and it's the verses 1 and 2 of that, where Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, you know, would, would I have told you that? If it weren't so. And then Jesus went on from there and he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
and you know the way to the place where I'm going. He's laying this out for them the night before he is killed. And he's saying, don't worry about it. (laughs) We're going to be okay. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, yes, you do. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. We don't have to scare people into heaven. We don't have to bludgeon them into into heaven. We don't have to argue them. We don't have to win debates with them. We don't have to wrestle them into heaven, push them into heaven, whatever uh, language you want to use. All we have to do is lift up Jesus because Jesus says, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to me. We can do a lot to help the people around us and we can lift up Jesus as we do that. We can love them. We can tend to their physical, their emotional needs. But if we don't lead them to Jesus, if we don't speak about Jesus as we meet those physical and emotional needs, we have failed them and we have failed God. We must tell them about Jesus' love for them and we must give them the opportunity to put their confidence in Him to save them as He has saved us. Because here's how we go. We too are sinners. We are are sinners saved by God's grace. We are no more than one beggar telling the other beggars where to find bread. That's it. And if there is a heaven and a hell, and there is, and if everyone will spend eternity in one place or another, and they will, how can we not lead people to Jesus? Jesus alone can change their eternal destinies. And so here's the facts, people. We're believers. We're followers of Christ. And here's the facts. You're either leading people to heaven or you're leading them away. Now you say, I'm not leading anybody away from heaven. I'm not telling nobody can go to heaven. I'm not saying you're, you're rejected. You can't possibly be part of that. I'm not telling them. Oh, yes, you are. If you're not telling them about Jesus. Because they're leave, you're leaving them Christless for eternity if you're not talking about Jesus with them. Steve McQueen was a top billing actor back in the 1970s and 80s who led a life almost as tough as the ones he portrayed on the screen. You remember him possibly in movies like The Dirty Dozen or Bullet or The Great Escape or The Magnificent Seven or The Towering Inferno. Just a whole bunch of movies where he's kind of had the same rough guy kind of deal. Success filled his life until alcohol and a failed marriage left him empty. In his despair, he he, he attended a crusade crusade led by one of Billy Graham's associates. Uh, Billy Graham wasn't there, but someone else was preaching. Uh, And McQueen McQueen made this confession, this profession of faith in Christ and accepted Christ during that crusade. And then afterwards, as he was talking with somebody, he requested an opportunity to, to meet Billy Graham. And so one time, Billy Graham was flying through Los Angeles and he had a connecting flight with a little layover there. And so they, they got back to McQueen and, he, and said, uh, you, you can, can meet up with him for a little while if you come down to the airport. So he got down there and they brought Billy Graham out of the airport, put him in McQueen's uh, limousine, and they had two hours together. And he was all concerned, you know, how could God love me? I still still can't accept this. I can't, still can't deal with this reality because how could God give eternal life to somebody with such a checkered life as mine? 
And so scripture after scripture, Billy Graham was sharing with him. Finally, he hit on this verse in Titus 1-2. Found a promise that really spoke to Steve McQueen. And, and this verse says this, that our faith rests on the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time. Well, the actor asked somebody to uh, give me some paper and pen so I can write this down, and Billy Graham says, I'll do you one better. Here, just take my Bible. Here, it's already underlined. You just keep it. A few years later, Steve McQueen got terminal cancer. And he was trying everything to stay alive. Nothing was working. Finally, he ended up going down to, to Mexico to try this experimental treatment. And uh, it, it just wasn't working. And one day, kind of unexpectedly, before anybody else really expected it to happen, he died alone in his room. His family and, and workers and all found that he had passed into eternity with his Bible open on his lap. Open to Titus 1, his finger still resting on verse 2. That we have the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Regardless of our past, we have the assurance of our eternal salvation because of God's word. And so the ultimate question for you this morning, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, is this. Where will you be one minute after you die? One minute after you pass, the last breath, the last beat of your heart, where will you be? Jesus said that there are two roads in life. He says in Matthew 7.13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow. And it's hard, that gate that leads to life. And those who find it, are few. Which gate have you chosen? I hope that you've chosen the narrow gate. His name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, today we ask that you would be on our hearts. I don't know the hearts of anybody in this room to, to know exactly where they are with you right now. I am, am uh, pleased to have brothers and sisters here in Christ that have have named the name of Jesus. They profess their faith in Him. And their desire is to live for Him. And I see that. There are others that maybe have made such a profession at some point and the evidence is not as plain. Just don't know. And there are others that I don't even know what's in their heart if ever there has been a decision, a choice. And so I pray that you speak to each of us individually now. That you impress upon us your love and your grace, and the forgiveness that you have extended to us through your Son, Jesus. Lord, if we are Christian, if we have already affirmed these things, we have already uh, decided to be loyal to Jesus, to live for Him, and that we are looking forward to that day when we can be with you for all eternity, if that is where we are today, Lord, help us to remember what we have talked about this morning. We must have this faith in you that is, that is hopeful, that is joyful, that is not a faith of fear. And we must have a, a faith that is lived out in love. 
a love of abandonment, of just completely giving ourselves to that love and to showing that love and, and demonstrating it even through lives of, of exhaustion day by day, filled with your love. Help us to not be so concerned about caution and security and safety. So many times we just want to be safe. And that's not the life Jesus gave us. He said, take up your cross daily. Follow me. Lord, help us to lead people to Jesus. There are people that we already know. We don't have to go to anybody new. We don't have to necessarily find somebody we've never met even today or this week, people that have already come to our minds that we know we should be talking about Jesus with them. And we should be sharing his love with them. We ought to be more than just taking care of their needs or showing them a little bit of kindness. We need to speak. We need to tell them about the love of our Savior. That your desire is that no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, we look forward to heaven. We imagine what it will be like. And, and uh, it's not that popular notion floating around on clouds. It's the reality of being in your presence forever and of being so overjoyed, so uh, thrilled to be in your presence that we will never tire of that. There's work to be done. There's, there's so many things to be enjoyed in that place. For eternity. And Lord, we hope everyone can go with us. Bless us as we continue worshiping you, but more than just words of a song, music to be played or sung, may it be the lives that we live for you that show our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.